interesting how many different thoughts and ideas people have regarding this concept of the return of Jesus Christ. And uh, as we've walked through this, it raises a lot of questions. We're in a series of messages that we're calling Spoiler Alert, and we are looking at how this book ends. We are looking at the end of time and the end of Scripture. And so this is where we are today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is uh, where we find ourselves today. Interesting questions, things that people ask. About two years ago, Rhonda and I had the opportunity to visit some friends who live in Boston, and we had a day to ourselves while we were there, and so we, we went into the city. And just, if you've ever been to Boston, it's a beautiful city. It's filled with history. But the streets were laid out back, you know, 200 years ago. And so the, the, the designs and a grid and those kinds of things, it's just tough to find your way around, even with the GPS. I was just frustrated. We were like, we don't even know what to see here. We just know there's all kinds of history stuff. So we, we booked one of these bus tours. You ever done that when you go to a city you don't know? It's really kind of a cool thing to do. We booked a little bus tour, and it drove us around the, the city for the day, and we got to see all the highlights. And then if there were places where you wanted to see more about it, you could stop, you could get off, you could check it out. Most of the things, though, you just did a drive-by. And they gave you a brief narrative of what happened here, who died there, who signed an important document there, what, what happened in these places. And then if you were interested, you could go back and see more. Today, we're going to do a drive-by of what happens on earth after the rapture. In fact, the, the title of the message on my notes is, What on Earth is Going On? After the rapture, what on earth happens to the world that we know of today? And so we're going to look at these things today, and as we go through this, we're going, to, we're going to kind of cruise through this period of history that's going to come in the future, what Scripture tells us about these things. I'll be real honest with you, in the next about 45 minutes, I'm going to preach three sermons. Are you ready? And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I said too. Wow. Okay, so let's, uh, let's try it. Let's jump in. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, a couple of interesting things here. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. It was one of the churches that he planted. It's a very important church. It was strategic in its location. Last, or actually two weeks ago, we looked at what Paul wrote to this same church in his first letter where he talked to them about the rapture of the church. That at some point, and if you, if you haven't uh, been familiar with that term, if you weren't here two weeks ago, those messages are online. You can go back and look at, last week we looked at the judgment seat of Christ, what's going to happen when we stand before Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at the rapture, this time in the future when Jesus, completely unannounced, is going to show up and almost like a magnet for the saints, he's going to draw those who are dead in Christ and those of us who are still alive and believe in him and we will join him to meet him in the air and will be with the Lord forever. And so our topic has been what happens after the rapture. And so today we're going to talk about that on earth. This is not only a question for us, but 2,000 years ago it was a question for the church that Paul was writing to. Because they had people who were throwing out all kinds of theories. They had people who were throwing out all kinds of ideas. There were, there were miscommunications and untruths that were out there. It was confusing people. And if, if you've been alive and in the church world for the last, let's just say, 40, 50 years, there's been a lot of that, hasn't there? Every time something pops up in the headlines, people make some kind of claim about how this fits Bible prophecy. And the truth is, we see those things. It is true. I personally believe, if you look at what's going on in the world, and we'll talk about that a little bit here this morning, 
I, I, I don't think there's ever been a time where the things that Scripture says and the things that the news says line up more pointing towards the second coming of Jesus Christ than they do today. Would you agree? However, that's not the point. The point is very different in what Scripture says to us. So before we jump into the events and the story and the theology, let me give you just four things we should remember about Bible prophecy. Four things we should remember about prophecy. And, and thinking of the fact that even 2,000 years ago, Paul had to say to the people in the church that he started and that he loved, that he had pastored for a season, he had to say to them, look, don't get so wound up. Hang on to the truth. Here's what we know. First thing about Bible prophecy. Number one, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming again. And all of those who plan to join him said... Amen. We know that this is truth. Scripture says it. For some of you, if you're, if you're listening to this, maybe you're watching this online, maybe you're, you're new to the church or you're asking some questions, you're like, that seems a little weird. Like that woman in that video, you're like, I didn't know Jesus got reincarnated, right? Which he didn't, right? We don't use the word reincarnated. We use the word resurrected. Yeah, thanks for being here Easter. Awesome. Okay, so um, we, we use we use a different word, right? We believe he's alive, that he is is living, that he is in heaven, and that someday he is coming again. We'll talk about why as we go through these services today in the next couple of weeks. We believe Jesus is coming again. Revelation chapter twenty two verse twenty. He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, says, "Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord." Jesus. So let's just throw this fact out here. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus is coming again, right? Okay, number two, we only know what the Bible tells us. When it comes to these things, when we look into the things about prophecy, what we only know for sure is what the Bible tells us. Not what we speculate, not what we saw on Christian television, not what we read in a book. Although all those things are meaningful and helpful, what we only know for sure is what the Bible tells us. So what does Jesus say to us? Well, let's, let's look at what he says. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Here's what Jesus said talking about these days. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. Same thing Paul said. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Ever heard of any of that? But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Have you ever heard any of that? Terrible, terrible natural disaster in Nepal. And as the church, we need to pray for those that are there. We need to pray for believers. We need to pray for the church. Um, as as is, is true in any time when we talk about these things, if you are, are, are stirred that maybe you want to do something to help in some way, maybe make a financial gift, we would always point you to Convoy of Hope is the agency that we partner with. Um, oftentimes when these things happen, people ask, how can I get involved? Convoy of Hope is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a relief agency connected with the Assemblies of God. They are already sending supplies. They've already been mobilized and, uh, and have folks there on the ground in Nepal. If you're interested in, in being a part, you could, you could do that either through Calvary or directly through their website. But Jesus told us, don't be surprised because these things will happen, right? Listen to what he said. He said, um, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The Bible tells us a lot. Jesus points out for us that when you see all these things coming, which we see them coming, we know that they are, they are signs, they're forerunners, they're kind of warning shots that tell us, look, the end is coming. We live in a world, and we'll talk about this, that is, that is moving closer and closer to the end. Now let me, let me just throw two things out here, because again, we're just doing a drive-by today. And some of you, especially if you're new to the church, you may say, well, how do I, how do I dig in more? How do I learn more about what we believe as a church, and in particular about this area? If that's you, let me give you two great resources that, to be honest, I, I borrowed an awful lot from, from this sermon. One is a resource that's called the Fire Bible. The Fire Bible. And if you were to, to go out on your favorite search engine and search for that, just search for the Fire Bible, um, you could order this online. It is, if you're familiar with how study Bible works, it has the, the biblical text and then it has notes that have been prepared by theologians about how um, to understand the things that you're reading um, if you are looking for a good tool to help you understand more what you're reading in Scripture, um, I would highly, highly, highly recommend this resource. Another thing, if you really want to dig into what do we believe about the end times, there's a book called Our Destiny by Stanley Horton. It's called Our Destiny by Stanley Horton. If you're looking for entertaining reading before you go to bed, talk to me later and I can give you something else. But if you're looking for a great resource to know what does Scripture say about these things, there's probably no better resource than Our Destiny um, by Stanley Horton. And I would encourage you to, to check that out. What do we know about Bible prophecy? Well, for one, we, we only know what the Bible tells us. But here's the third thing I want you to remember. Number three, we don't know what we don't know. Isn't that true? We don't know what we don't know. And this is where it's so key for us to recognize this, because speculation is rampant. As it was in Paul's day, it is in our day. People are always trying to crack the code and solve the puzzle. And I do think that there are pieces that we are to put together. I think there are some wonderful prophecy teachers. But for everyone who's a wonderful prophecy teacher, there's probably two or three fear mongers, aren't there? And there's people who want to take the headlines and they want to piece them together and mostly with good motives, but people play CSI Revelation. You ever seen that TV show? Where we take all the clues and we try to piece it together and it leads to some real craziness. Now look, we do our best to understand what Scripture says. And we know that the signs are pointing that now more than ever, Jesus Christ is coming soon. But understand this, we look to the Holy Bible and not headline news for our insight into the future. It's in the Bible and not blogs. We're seeking him and not the hype. Amen? And that's, that's where this lands. This is where we need to begin. So if that's the case, why is this in the Bible in the first place? If it's not a mystery for us to solve, if it's not a code for us to crack, why is it in there? Every time you see Scripture talk about these things, I believe it's with one intention in mind. Number four that I want you to remember, today's actions have eternal consequences. We talked about this last week. The reason that we have Bible prophecy is not so that we can be super smart about tomorrow, but so we'll know how we should live our lives today. Prophecies about the future are written to motivate how we live in the present. Why did Jesus talk about it? 
Why did Peter talk about it? Why did Paul talk about it? Why is it in Isaiah? Why is it in Ezekiel? Why is it in Daniel? Why is scripture filled with that? Because prophecies about the future aren't just there for us to play CSI revelation. They're written to motivate how we live in the present. So my hope is that you won't just be intrigued by what we talk about today, but that you'll be challenged in the way that you live your life tomorrow. That being said, let me take the next few moments and unpack for you four things we should know about earth after the rapture. Four things that we should know about earth after the rapture. You have on the back of your sermon notes page just kind of a real basic um, timeline um, that'll highlight a few of these things for us today. I know it's super simple, um, but we, we live currently in what you would see there referred to as the church age. The next two weeks, we will talk about eternity. We'll talk about hell. We'll talk about heaven. And so that's those two different ends. What I want to talk about today begins with the rapture, which we've already spoke about. We've talked about the judgment seat of Christ. That's what's happening in heaven. Today, I want to talk about what happens on earth. And I want to give you four things we should know about earth after the rapture. Just um, some key significant events that will take place as we talk about this. Now look, there's, there's several things that I, I'm going to give you today. A lot of scripture and then a lot of um, like definitions. For some of this, you'll want to jot down some notes. For some of it, just, just so you don't dis- get discouraged and frustrated and lose the faith, um, you, you might not have time to write everything down we're going to put on the screens. For some of you, you're like note takers. Your entire week will be ruined if you miss a comma, right? Okay, here's the deal. We, we will post these things. They're already on the Bible app that if you have a phone or a tablet and you use the Bible app from lifechurch.tv, you can, you can use that. They will be posted online on our website by Wednesday this week with the, with the video of this message as well as um, we're going to try to get them on our Facebook page hopefully before the day's over today so that you can access them that way. So, so for those of you who are, are chronic note takers, I don't want you to lose your salvation over this. We're going to get it to you, okay? We good? All right, number one, first thing I hope you'll, you'll know about earth after the rapture. Let's talk about the tribulation for a few moments. Number one, the tribulation and what scripture says to us about this time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, remember this is our text. Paul's walking through to the church. Here's what's going to happen in the future. He says, I want you to understand what's going to happen. People are saying a lot of different things. Let me clarify it for you so that you can understand. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3, Paul says... Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come, speaking about the day when Jesus comes back to earth, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the man man doomed to destruction. So we get some interesting insight here. He's talking about a rebellion. He's talking about lawlessness. He's talking about this man of lawlessness. He unpacks it a little bit more in verse 5. Look at verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back. This is speaking of the man of lawlessness. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So there is something that happens that removes a protective, um, restraining power that holds back the man of lawlessness from coming in and bringing the evil that's there now we'll, we'll we'll talk about who's the man of lawlessness what's this evil what are we talking about but there is some event that changes things that event we believe is the rapture that when the church is raptured 
And at that time then, through the church, the Holy Spirit's presence is withdrawn. That power is removed. And then evil can run rampant in a way that it has never been allowed in the history of the world. God removes that restraining power. The man of lawlessness, we know kind of more popularly as the Antichrist. You ever heard that term? We'll talk about him in just a minute. And we believe that when this rapture happens, then that power is removed. And what happens is this period of time called the tribulation. Now remember, when we talked about the rapture, the rapture is the, tribu- is, is the tribulation trigger, right? That's when the tribulation happens. So if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we go up in heaven in the rapture, we believe we're not experiencing this time of tribulation. That's good news. Let me tell you why. Here's a definition of the tribulation, and we'll unpack this a little bit from Scripture. The tribulation is the seven-year period of great distress following the rapture when the restrainer, these are Paul's words, is taken out of the way. The book of Revelation describes this future time of distress, suffering, persecution, evil activity, and God's wrath. Let me read that one more time. The tribulation is the seven-year period of great distress following the rapture when the restrainer, and we've talked about that as, as, as the rapture happens, the church, the Holy Spirit is gone, is taken out of the way. The, the book of Revelation describes this future time of distress, suffering, persecution, evil activity, and God's wrath. I was, I was in preparation for this listening to a preacher, and he was, he was preaching about the tribulation. He was going through Revelation, uh, I believe it was chapter 6, and with every terrible thing that was coming to the earth, it sounded like he was getting more excited. Like he thoroughly enjoyed talking about it. And that bothered me. Because this is, this is something that when you read about, when you talk about it, Scripture says there's never been a time like this when things will be so bad. Now let me, let me unpack that definition for you for just a few moments why do we say that about the tribulation? It's not just out of a book. This is out of the book, out of Scripture. Why do we say seven years? Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 says this. Speaking, he's speaking, Daniel's prophesying about the Antichrist, and he says he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, which is, is a period of seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, if you're familiar with Bible prophecy, you're like, oh, yeah, I've read that before. If you're not familiar with Bible prophecy, you probably say the, the biblical Hebrew word, huh? <laughs> what does that mean? We're doing a drive-by today. I, I wish we had the time to pull over and we could do a guided tour of the book of Daniel. It would take us weeks to do it. And if you have interest in this, Daniel unpacks so much for us about this period of time in Bible prophecy and what it speaks to us. And then Jesus will even allude to this in this next passage we'll look at. But here's, here's just what's very simple for us to understand. Daniel says, based on that verse and others like it, that this tribulation period will be a period of time of seven years. And the second half of that, the last three and a half years, is what we refer to as the Great Tribulation. When, the, when the, the, the thing really gets amped up. And Jesus says it'll be a time of great distress. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Listen, he uses Daniel's language. 
So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one go in the field, go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Jesus has just given us a synopsis there. If you read the book of Revelation, and many of you have, it's filled with symbols, and it's filled with, with things that are hints of what's going to happen. But in particular, chapter 6 through 18 of the book of Revelation speak of this tribulation period of time. And when you read it, you can't help but recognize how terrible this time will be. The destruction that will come, the pain that will come, and so much because this is not just a time of natural disaster. This is truly a time of God's wrath. Not because God's angry, because God's just. Because he has to deal with sin. And as we go through this series, you'll see and you'll realize how what he's doing is actually just making everything right in his plan and according to his justice. And as we look at the signs, and we don't have time to unpack them today, we can just see this. I don't believe the world has ever been more on the edge of this than where it is today. So we talk about this. The first thing you've got to know is there will be this seven-year period of incredible distress called the tribulation. Who's at the center of it? We've already read. Here's the second thing I hope you'll know is the Antichrist. Let's talk about the Antichrist this morning for a few moments. Because Paul, in his teaching to the church in Thessalonica, highlights this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he talks about the Antichrist. He says, He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This guy will not have a self-confidence issue, right? What else do we know about him? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve in the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They will perish because they refuse to love the church and so be saved. And this Antichrist will be um, a character like we've never seen in, in, in history before. Let me give you just a, a brief definition again. The Antichrist is a false Christ. Anti means false or against or another. The Antichrist is a false Christ who will rule the world during the tribulation. This man of lawlessness will demand worship and deceive nations. He will attempt to kill all who do not have the mark of the beast. And this is where so much of our Bible prophecy and Bible prophecy movies and all those things start to, start to click in our heads, right? We've heard these things. The Antichrist. He's referred to in scripture as the beast. We know that he will try to rule the world. We know that he will demand worship. We know that he will be evil incarnate like we've never seen before. We don't have time to read all about him. But if you go to Revelation chapter 13 verses 1 to 18. You may want to jot that down. Revelation 13, 1 through 18. John in the book of Revelation gives us a, a kind of a job description of the Antichrist. Which raises this, this really interesting question. What is the mark of the beast? 
Scripture talks about it being in, in the hand or in the forehead that you can't buy or sell without it. And every time there's a new technological advance, what do we ask ourselves? Is that it? Is that, is that cell phone going to be it? Is that chip they want to put in Lassie it? We ask these things. And the truth is, things that were just sci-fi, even 20, 30, 40 years ago, as we look at Scripture, are possible today, aren't they? Now look, I, I could probably sell a lot of sermon CDs if I told you today that I know exactly what the mark of the beast is. But the reality is, I don't know. I don't know that anybody knows but God. But I do know this. There's probably never been a time where we could read Scripture and see the possibility of how it could play out in our day like today. Wouldn't you agree? So that's important for us to recognize, which causes the question then, who is the Antichrist? We know that the number of the beast, the mark of the beast, his number, Scripture says, is man's number. And do you know what that three-digit number? It is 666, right? So we know this from the book of Revelation, 666, which has led then for the centuries people to speculate. They thought it was Caesar. Because if you run the math on things... You can work it out so that people's names have numeric value, especially if you use the Hebrew alphabet. So they thought it was Nero Caesar at one point in time. Many of the popes have been claimed to be the Antichrist by the church over the years. Richard Nixon, if you took his name and, 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 and made it numeric, he was claimed to be the Antichrist. Here's two interesting ones. Do you know that the day after our 44th president, Barack Obama, was elected, the Illinois lottery number was 666 that won? Do you know that the, the president that so many of us love, Ronald Reagan, if you take his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, each one of his three names has how many letters? Whoa. Here's my favorite. I watched somebody do this. They broke a whole mathematical formula down one time and proved that the Antichrist was Barney the Dinosaur. I'm not kidding. Listen to this. Barney the Dinosaur is believable because John, the writer of Revelation, would never have known what a dinosaur looked like. It's logical to assume that he would have identified any vision of Barney as one of a dragon. Taking this into consideration, you might find the following scripture quite revealing. Revelation 12, 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. People have been able to say all kinds of things about who the Antichrist is, haven't they? Here's the bottom line. We don't know. And here's my encouragement to you. Scripture says we're to look for Jesus and not the Antichrist, right? So let's focus on him. Here's what we also know. We know that John tells us that the spirit of Antichrist has been in the world ever since Jesus was here. A spirit that is against him, that is false according to who he is and what he does. So there has always been this spirit. And we can look at that long list of people. Barney, I'm pretty sure, was never an Antichrist, but Hitler might have been. There have been a lot of people who have been antichrist in their spirit they have been forerunners of the one who will come who will claim this title and it will be like nothing we've ever known recognize this that's coming in the future here's a third thing that i hope you'll know about what's going to happen on earth after the rapture number three that's the glorious appearing this is a, a theological term that we often use sometimes to to talk about the second coming of jesus christ 
when he will come again. We call that his glorious appearing. Think about this. The rapture happens. The saints leave. The church is gone. Evil runs rampant. You have seven years of just great distress. The Antichrist comes to power promising peace. But then he stabs everybody in the back and brings such distress. And he brings such um, just evil to the world in this time. You read about this in Daniel. You read about it in the book of Revelation. Three and a half years in, it gets so much worse with the great tribulation. Then at the end of those seven years, Jesus comes back to earth. We call this the glorious appearing. Paul speaks about this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Now, I want you to catch this. Jesus said the tribulation will be worse than anything that's ever happened on earth or will ever happen again. The Antichrist is the evilest dude there's ever been. And you know how Jesus will destroy him when he comes back? That's the power of our king. And so when we talk about this, we've got to remember not just how bad things are going to be, but how bad our Savior is, right? He's got that. Absolutely, absolutely. The glorious appearing. The glorious appearing is the time when Christ will come again to earth with believers and his angels. At the battle of Armageddon, Christ will defeat the Antichrist, Satan, and the ungodly. We speak sometimes about the battle of Armageddon. Have you ever heard that term before? You thought it was Christmas with your family. No, it's in the book of Revelation. And Revelation speaks about this. In Revelation chapter 19, it talks about that. We won't take time to read all that today. But there will come a time when Jesus is going to return and will change everything. He will come back to earth with believers. Those of us who are raptured will come back with him and with the angels. We will be a part of his army and we will be a part of that battle that is guaranteed for victory. If you think about that long enough, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? It's nice to be in on the action, especially when you're on the winning team. We will have an opportunity to be a part of that victory. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, listen to what Paul says. This will happen, speaking about their hope being fulfilled, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified with his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. This is so significant. There will be this time when we will come back with Jesus and we will be a part of that great victory. And I'm running out of time because we could stand there for a long time, right? But here's what it leads to. Fourth thing I hope you'll know about. Number four is the millennium. The millennium. This is not the ride at Cedar Points. And as I look at that, I think, I think in my notes I spelled it wrong. I think it's supposed to be two ends. So those of you that are spell checkers, um, hallelujah. And this is, uh, this, is a, this is a key strategic period of time that happens in Bible prophecy. So tribulation is bad. Antichrist, really bad. Jesus comes back, conquers them all with a from his mouth. We are a part of that, 
And then that leads to this period of time called the millennium. The millennium is a period following Christ's return when Satan will be bound and Christ will, with his church, that's you and me, reign on the earth for a thousand years. This will be a time of peace, safety, prosperity, and righteousness. This will be a time that God intended for it to be from the beginning. We won't take the time to read it. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. Revelation 20, 1 through 4. Talk to you about this. A lot of Old Testament scriptures that point back to this. This is such a key and very significant time. What we will talk about the next two weeks will help us to understand the millennium even better as we talk about um, next week final judgment and is there really a place called hell? The following week we'll talk about heaven and is there really a place called heaven? What will we experience there? All of this begins when Jesus comes, he rules, he reigns. There's this, there's this satisfaction that every parent feels when they walk in to their child's room and they realize that their room is actually clean. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, this, this, my child, is the way it was meant to be. That's the millennium. And we will see. I'm, right? Isn't it? Isn't it? And we'll see what it was supposed to be like. And through that, Jesus affirms his rule and his reign. And then, as you'll see the next couple of weeks, that's when it gets really good. See, we have no idea. Which leads me then, before we wrap up, I just, I just want to drop on you today four more things. I told you it was three sermons, right? Four things we should consider about Earth's future. Because we could talk all about this. It's kind of interesting. We can talk all about this. It's kind of fascinating. But what, 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 what difference does it make if you and I don't realize that somehow it's got to impact our lives today. Four things we should consider in light of this about Earth's future. Number one, I want you just to consider the future itself. Realize that this is reality, that these things will happen. I want you to consider that this is the future. A um, couple, couple years ago, I, I went back um, and, and was able to spend a little bit of time in my old home stomping grounds. Drove drove down 422 in Warren and then straight out to a little town called Southington that I grew up in. I spent my whole life living there. And as, and as I drove through, I realized that the area where the church was that I attended, I mean, I spent, um, I mean, just so much of my life there when I was growing up, it's just really changed. It's just really different to see. You know how an area that once was thriving kind of starts to feel run down? You know what I'm talking about? It was just kind of like that. It was different. And then drove out and my mom moved away from the house that I grew up in about six years ago or so. And drove out there, and the house is still there, and you get all these kind of warm feelings, and there's that, there's that weird neighbor, oh, there's that neighbor we like, you know, it's all that kind of stuff, you know. But I drove by, and I realized the house is still there, but the people that live there now, they don't take care of it the way my mom did. And then I drove down to the center of town. Um, I'm from Southington, Ohio. We have one stoplight and then one five-way stop. That's about it. You get down to the center, there's a little convenience store, there's the fire station, and there's the school, except the school that I grew up in. I went, to, I went to one school, public school, kindergarten through 12th grade. Little town. Yeah, it's, it's one where I can even speak, right, Gary? I mean, it's that kind of thing, right? So it wasn't a one-room schoolhouse, but it was just, we were just this tiny little town. We had, we, had this, we had this one school, and it's gone. All that's left is the monument to the guy it was named after who got captured in the Civil War. He's our real hero. And then, uh, and then the old building, the original building, Chalker High School. The real school, they, they've leveled it. They've built a whole new school that's really cool, but it's, my school's not there. And I drove through, and it's like, so much has changed. So much is different. If you had that experience, you go back to your childhood home and just go, this isn't the same anymore. 
Look, as we walk through this passage of Scripture, you've got to realize God is in the process of changing things. He is in the process of rewriting history. We get so wrapped up in today, realize there is a future that is going to come. Things will change. There's going to be transition. And here's the fear. We must not be lulled into a passive present because we are forgetful about the future. The future that's coming must motivate us not to be passive in the present. It must motivate us to be active. It must motivate us to live our lives for Christ. It must motivate us to see that people know who Jesus is and their lives are changed. We must not be lulled into a passive present simply because we are forgetful about the future. Listen to what, what Peter writes. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. So then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, speaking of the future, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him today. Because you're looking to the future. You need to live actively today. What you know about tomorrow affects how you will live today. So this series of messages isn't just you can go, I'm I'm glad my preacher talks about the end times. It's not for you to say, well, that was just kind of fascinating. I had a couple of you share with me just how as we've talked about it, it's caused you to step back and go, how am I living my life? Am I ready for that day? That's the motivation. Consider the future. Here's the second thing. I want to challenge you to consider your friends. I want to challenge you to consider your friends. I know you, and by and large, you're really good people. Some of you are looking around like, there's a couple of us. But most of you, right? (laughs) Most of you are really good people. You wouldn't let a friend walk into a painful trap. Last Sunday, I was was leaving and I parked my car in the back. And I said to my wife, um, we were going to go to lunch together. So we were going to meet in the back. and, And I said... I will, I will come down from my office and I'll just cut through the sanctuary and I'll cut out this little fire exit and I'll meet you right back there. She says, that's awesome. Cool. I went upstairs, got my backpack. I'm coming out. I walk out. Guess where my wife was? She was hiding right there waiting for me. <laughs> She's not the Antichrist, but she might be the second cousin to the Antichrist. I'm not, I'm not sure. She scared me. I repented four times before I walked out this building. You wouldn't want a friend to walk into a painful trap. If you saw somebody stepping out into oncoming traffic, what would you do? You'd yell, you'd push, you'd pull, you would do something because you love that person. Yet we know what the future holds and sometimes we don't, we don't care to tell people about their eternal destiny. See, God tells us we should be actively doing something. Jude chapter 1 verse 22 says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Realize this, friends. You have the opportunity in the present to influence another person's future. Your life could make all the eternal difference for someone else. You have the opportunity in the present to influence another person's future. Your life could make all the eternal difference. My grandfather, William Richards, was just a nominal Christian. Why? Because he went to church at Easter and he went to church at Christmas. And he owned a farm. 
And there was a, like a, his farm backed up to some woods. And right on the other side of the woods was the farm that his sister and her husband owned. Back in Mineral Ridge, Ohio, back in the early 1900s. And one day, my aunt went to a church service. Or not, it'd be his sister. My mom's aunt went to a church service. And there she heard about Jesus coming back. And it challenged her to change her relationship with Jesus. So much so. That the next day as she was praying, she felt such a burden for my grandfather that she ran from her farm across over to the back of his farm. And as she saw him, she just yelled to him, Bill, Bill, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He was probably looking like, where? Where is he? But she was so stirred. That was pivotal in my grandfather going from just some guy to a Christian guy with the promise of heaven. Which then affected his kids. And two pastors came out of that. Which then affected um, my mom and our family and all that. And my spiritual heritage in many ways goes back to a lady who realized that if her brother wasn't right with Jesus, he might miss heaven. And you'd be sitting here listening to a preacher not near this good looking. (laughs) Do you get my point? Consider your friends. Number three... Consider your faith. Consider your faith. Romans Romans chapter 8 says something really interesting to us. Paul Paul writes there and he says that, that as earth is going through this time of turmoil, the earthquakes and the tragedy, the things that we hear about, he uses the term, he says, it's as if the earth is moaning in childbirth. It's like the earth is having contractions. It's like the world is waiting to give birth to something more. This world that we know is only just a pregnancy for the world that God really intends to give birth to. And so when we walk through tragedies like birth, or like, yeah, like, like death, when we walk through tragedies like pain, when we see things like typhoons, and hurricanes, and earthquakes, realize these are just these signs, these forerunners of the fact that our hope is to come. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 21, verse 28. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We need to remember this, that when you see these things, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't let it fill you with, with, with dismay. We are people of faith and not people of fear, right? We are people that look at these things and not with joy for the pain, but with hope for the future. We say we lift up our heads because this means that our hope, this means that our redemption is on its way. There's truth that's coming. That Jesus is going to make everything right. He's going to set things straight. It causes us to be people of faith and not fear. One last thing I hope you'll consider Number four, I hope you'll consider your soul. I hope you'll consider your soul. That you'll take a moment in light of all of this. And for many of us in this room, we we can truly say, God, I, I need to. Like the Apostle John wrote in Revelation, even so, Jesus, come quickly. I look forward to that day. But for many of us, whether you're sitting in this room or watching in some other way, You may be asking yourself, what is the state of my soul? 
Will Willimon tells a story in one of his sermons about how he was early in his ministry. He grew up in a, in a city church that was very civilized, that was very, um, probably not very evangelistic at all. And, and they did everything that was proper and that was right, and they did things with dignity. And so early in his ministry, he had to attend a, um, a funeral in a country church in rural Georgia. And he went to this funeral, and the preacher got up, and as the preacher spoke, he began to preach. Instead of being um, a service that was conducted with great dignity and decorum and saying all the right things, this country preacher got up and said this. Let me read it to you. He said, it's too late for Joe. He might have wanted to get his life together. He might have wanted to spend more time with his family. He might have wanted to do that, but Joe's dead now. It's too late for him, but it's not too late for you. There's still time for you. You can still decide. You're still alive. It's not too late for you. Today is the day of decision. This old country preacher goes on to tell a story about a funeral procession that at one point was on a way from a church to a cemetery, and in the midst of it, a Greyhound bus barreled through and crashed into some of the cars. It was a frightening story of how suddenly life can be taken at the most unusual of times. And then he said... You should decide today. Today is the day to get your life together. It's too late for old Joe, but it's not too late for you. This bothered Will Williman in no small way. And on the way home, this is what he said to his wife. He said, have you ever seen anything as manipulative and insensitive to that poor family? That guy's sermon was out of line and I found it disgusting. To which his wife said, I never have heard anything like that. It was manipulative, it was disgusting, it was insensitive, and then she said, and worst of all, it was all true. Look, I don't know what the state of your soul is today. My intention is not to scare anybody, but if talking about what's going to happen on earth after the rapture does stir up a little fear in you, then maybe that's not me. Maybe that's just God's word and the Holy Spirit. Asking you to take a good look at your soul. What will be the state of your eternity? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? And I simply want to ask you that question. Just very simply, what will your eternity be? Do you have the promise in your heart that you know that when that rapture happens, you're meeting Jesus in the air? Or do you question what your eternal future might look like? Do you know even before we talk about that heaven is promised for you? Or do you wonder if you're going to miss out because things aren't right between you and God? Like the pastor said, it was too late for old Joe. But you're hearing this message today, so it's not too late for you. When we look to the future, it fills us with wonder at God's plan. It fills us with hope that he is our redeemer. And for some of us, it fills us with a conviction and a sense that we know that what we need more than anything else is a savior. So I'll simply ask this question, whether you're sitting here in the auditorium or you're over in the chapel, maybe you're in auditorium too. Maybe you're watching this um, on some screen somewhere. But God's speaking to your heart and saying today what you need is a savior. What you need to experience is the the life change that only Jesus can bring. His forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. He died on a cross to snatch us from wrath. And to save us 
from the fire. And he rose again. And in his resurrection, he, he allowed us to experience that same life. And if you would say today, Chad, I don't know that I'm ready for the rapture. But today I know I want to be. I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior with heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you just raise your hand? Wherever you are, that's you. Yeah, thanks, 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 thanks. You raise your hand, put it right back down. Say, I need to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I want to be ready for that day. Is there anybody else? If you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, or if you just raised your hand and you want to make him that today, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sins. I ask today that you'd forgive my sins, that you'd change my life. I choose to follow you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I give my life to you. And I look forward to the day when you will come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks to us and it challenges us and it encourages us. May we be more than just intrigued, but may we be challenged and convicted to live our lives looking to eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.